Well, our topic today in the Heidelberg Catechism, as we continue uh, through the grace section, God's deliverance, and we are uh, teaching the gospel, teaching deliverance through the articles of our Apostles' Creed. And so last week we uh, taught the significance in question 26. Why do we uh, say that we believe in God who is a father and the maker of heaven and earth? Today we turn to a second question on the doctrine of creation, focusing on providence. And uh, that psalm, which we just sang, uh, was an important reminder that God's providence is not some um, nearly neutral or benevolent force. Uh, right? God's providence is good and benevolent to his people, but to those who are the Lord's enemies, to sinners, um, it does indicate God's power and might and that he will ultimately bring all to a place of judgment. But it is our blessing, brothers and sisters, uh, to turn now to Romans chapter 8. And Romans 8, along uh, with the rest of that epistle, is such a wonderful reminder that when we acknowledge God's power in creation and his will and counsel in upholding all things, uh, we are comforted as believers through Christ. So this is a a bit of a lengthy reading, but it's beautiful here to see uh, the apostles, um, to see the apostles' thought unfold. And uh, in chapter 9, he's going to turn, of course, to a new topic, to the the mystery of uh, Israel's unbelief and the Gentile inclusion. But here in chapter 8, he's kind of concluding in a doxological fashion his positive teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is gospel good news for you and I, chapter 8 of Romans, uh, beginning at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we thought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise be to God for that uh, powerful comfort passage of scripture, uh, that great and glorious sort of conclusion to gospel uh, presentation of Paul in the book of Romans. We're going to turn now to our catechism. Uh, You can find it in the back of our Trinity Psalter hymnal. It is a Lord's Day 10, which can be found on uh, page 876. Uh, The benefit of turning to page 876 is that you will always know where it is. And also that you can see all of the biblical uh, scriptural supports for our catechism. And also that you can view question 27 and 28 in the context of last week's lesson, uh, Lord's Day 9. But we've also put it in bulletin. It's too much work for you to get to page 876 in our Trinity Psalter hymnal. So let's read uh, responsively Lord's Day 10. What do you understand by the providence of God? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God, by which God upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, All things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they can neither move nor be moved. Well, before we uh, turn to our lesson this morning, uh, whenever I read these two questions, which we cherish as very comforting uh, lessons for us, we include them uh, for our young children as they come to profession and faith. We have a list of 10 catechisms uh, we desire them to memorize, and we include question 26 and 27, creation and providence, because it is so foundation, foundational for the believer's faith for what we profess. But I always recall um, a morning about 15 years ago, 16 years ago now, um, where... Um, About a month or two before we started uh, this church work in 2007, one of the other uh, brothers involved in the church, his wife had uh, a deadly stroke. 
and he spent a sleepless night in the hospital, and we initially thought it was a minor occurrence, but the next morning, uh, a number of friends gathered with him in the hospital and heard that, um, that the life of his wife was gravely in danger, and we wept together, and we prayed together. But the first thing I thought of in that difficult moment was uh, to read and pray through uh, question 27 and 28 in our catechism. That all things come to us by God's fatherly hand. And to look to this teaching of scripture as a source of comfort. And uh, so before I forget or say anything else, um, if you are at a bedside, if you are in the hospital, if you are in the dark night of the soul, uh, I uh, commend to you these words, this instruction, this lesson. Um, The words of our catechism are great to memorize, to have at hand at a bedside in a hospital. Um, Let me now uh, turn to our lesson proper. Uh, I want to look at three things this morning. Um, So my outline will sort of first frame up why providence is so important in the Reformation and argue that it is. Uh, There is a renewed focus in teaching on God's creation and providence. Um, Even though this isn't a novel Reformation doctrine, this is in the tradition of Augustine and Aquinas and the classical teaching of the church, yet it comes to prominence. So I want to mention that first. My second point will be, as we think about providence, what are some uh, key sort of uh, distinctions we can make in a theological sense, a little bit of of a systematic reflection. And then third and finally, I want to focus back in on Romans chapter 8 and the teaching of our Lord's Day. And really what the catechism is most concerned with properly is comfort, right? That that we have uh, providence that guides us through adversity and prosperity and uncertainty, all these seasons of life and its significance and its help and comfort to us. So first, let me say a few words about the Reformation's renewed uh, focus on providence. In our day and age, in the broader Reformed movement, uh, we hear a lot of people talking about the sovereignty of God, right? Uh, Oh, you're Reformed? You must believe in the sovereignty of God, right? Well, the word sovereignty isn't used in our three forms. Um, And I think the sovereignty of God gets us a little off base. It sort of shows us the influence of four or five centuries of, of different cultural and philosophical movements. And so we've sort of settled on this idea of sovereignty, but the Reformation itself was really concerned with God's providence. This is the term we find. And in fact, uh, we find a special focus on providence. So you have a question in our catechism on God as creator, and then on God's providence, his ongoing work of creation. And then a third question, question 28, on how these two teachings, creation and providence, are a help and a comfort to us. In our Belgic Confession of Faith, similarly, uh, we could point to an article on creation and then a separate article on God's uh, providence. Why is there this renewed focus on providence in the time of the Reformation? Well, I think at the heart of it is a rediscovery of the gospel. And the gospel of Luther and Calvin and our Reformed Fathers, as you recall, is most different, most distinct from what preceded it in the history of the church, the medieval uh, Roman Catholic Church, in its teaching of assurance and comfort. Right? The medieval church encouraged uh, fear, encouraged uncertainty, Because they thought this uncertainty would motivate people to good works. If we are comforted by our good works, by our pilgrimages, by lighting candles, uh, by making offerings to the church, 
we motivate those as, uh, by, by inciting fear. And so the last judgment of Christ shows Christ coming in judgment as a great terror uh, to sinners. Well, the Reformation, of course, said that, uh, summarized in our catechism, right? Yes, you are a horrible sinner, but God's deliverance is full and complete in Christ. And therefore, uh, we have gratitude. We do good works out of gratitude. And so it is out of assurance. And uh, the doctrine of predestination, right, that says we are such sinners that God does everything in our salvation is a subset of providence, right? If God does everything in salvation, well, he does everything in everything, right? God is in control of all things. And so it's proper for us to think of, of predestination, which is a saving doctrine, a doctrine about election and the salvation of sinners, as Romans 8 discusses, as a subset of God's overall providence over all things, And so, uh, the difference between this and the later uh, Reformed idea in the 17th and 18th and latter centuries of God's sovereignty, right, is that sovereignty is is an attribute of God in himself. To be a sovereign is to be a king. It's simply to say that God is king and powerful and rule all things. Yes, we affirm that absolutely. Providence, though, is a teaching that we come to know about God through Christ. And we saw this last week in our catechism when it said, uh, God is the maker, the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth, who still upholds them, is my God and father for the sake of Christ his son. It's not just God's power. It's not just his attribute of almighty power, omnipotence. It is his relationship to his children through Christ, that he is a loving father. He is able to do all things because he's an almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. So providence really describes a relational truth. How we relate to God through uh, his will in creation. And all this flows. All the teaching of providence flows from what we believe about God as our creator. The catechism and the Belgic confession are in agreement here. It doesn't allow us to consider God's power in creation apart from uh, his love for us in redemption. People outside of faith, outside of Christ, outside of the church, know God in his power. That's Romans 1. And if you know God as a powerful creator, God, holy and just, and you're a sinner and you don't know Christ, that's terrifying. As Michael Horton says, everyone has a personal relationship with God. Is it a good one or a bad one? (laughs) Is it based on works or is it based on grace? So, this is so important for us. And so, the the reformers, and especially in our confessions, focus on the good news about God's providence. And it's good news we know through God's grace in Christ. Uh, Lord's Day 10 picks up the idea of God's fatherly hand. We can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father. That no creature will separate us from his love. Sovereignty says nothing about love. Nothing. In the abstract, sovereignty is just power. Allah is sovereign. He's not a loving father. And I do think that this also, in addition to the gospel and the desire to teach comfort and assurance in God's grace... I think this also has something to do with the Reformed Church in particular being a church that was often persecuted and under the cross... So we see this emphasis on providence in the Belgian Confession of Faith. 
Uh, yes, the Heidelberg Catechism, which is before us today, was commissioned by a prince, Frederick III, an elector in the Holy Roman Empire. So it was a, a state document, as it were, for the instruction of, of the ignorant in his uh, domain of Heidelberg and the Palatinate. And yet, in 1563, when the Heidelberg Catechism was commissioned, uh, the spirit of 1561 was not in the distant past. It was present. And uh, the Reformed teaching, the Reformed faith, was new in Heidelberg. They had in their recent memory the idea of being persecuted and oppressed. When our Belgic Confession of Faith was delivered to the authorities, uh, someone had to wrap it up in a bundle with a letter and huck it over the wall of the castle (laughs) and run. That's a different spirit than appearing before Parliament or before the king in court. And in that letter, this is what our introduction to the Belgic Confession uh, says in our Creeds and Confessions. The letter to King Philip says uh, that we gladly offer our backs to the stripes, our tongues to the knives, our mouths to the gags, and our whole bodies to the fire, rather than deny the truth expressed in this confession. This was a life and death confession of faith for our authors and for the fathers of the Reformation. And so Belgic Confession Article 13 says, We believe that this good God, after he created all things, did not abandon them to chance or fortune. Nothing happens in this world without his orderly arrangement. The chaos of persecution, of a church hiding out in the fields, of pastors being burned at the stake and imprisoned, is God's orderly arrangement. That's an impressive statement of faith. God is not the author of, nor can he be charged with sin. He arranges and does his work justly, very well and justly, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. We'll return to this in the teaching of Concursus, but God puts our evil to good use. He works in spite of the wickedness of man, and he cannot be blamed for the wickedness of man. We do not wish to inquire with undue curiosity beyond our ability to comprehend. But in all humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God so as to learn only what he shows us in his word without going beyond these limits. This introduces another distinction I'll come back to, the distinction between God's revealed and his hidden will. Providence is God's hidden will. It's very important that we understand that distinction, which is almost totally lost in our day. This doctrine, and then notice how the Belgic Confession comes around here. This doctrine gives us unspeakable comfort. That's the Heidelberg Catechism, right? Since it teaches us that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the arrangement of our gracious Heavenly Father, who watches over us with fatherly care. In this thought we rest, He holds in check all the devils and all our enemies who cannot hurt us without His permission and will. That's what the book of Job teaches us about Satan, right? God, let me me tempt that one crown jewel. For that reason, we reject the error of those who say that God involves himself in nothing and loves, leaves everything to chance. So, <clears throat> that I think is why providence is an important central teaching of our confessions of faith. While it's important to, to memorize and reflect on and to uh, think about. I want to turn to my second point here and think about a few key distinctions that are important and helpful for us to reflect upon. And in doing so, I just want to encourage you to think, um, especially the adult, mature believers in this church, many church officers are here with us this morning. Um, 
That it's, it's a useful time as we go through our faith through the Apostles' Creed and the Heidelberg Catechism. If you want to read theology, it can be very useful and supportive to the task of catechesis. If you're a father or a mother um, or just a member of the church. So, a uh, little show and tell. I brought my ancient uh, copy of Ursinus' commentary on the catechism. This is a, uh, a very wonderful work by one of the main authors of our catechism. Um, he goes through, but it's really a one-volume systematic theology. So he's lecturing uh, off of these topics, introduces a number of classical distinctions that the church has used. Um, it can be a little bit dense in that he's writing like a scholastic, addressing different objections, answering them, but still very useful and helpful. Something more contemporary, which I used in this lesson, so I want to make a big footnote here. Uh, Michael Horton has this one-volume Christian faith. This is sort of a seminary level, but bright men in our, uh, or women, I'm sorry, in our congregation, uh, I had men on the brain because of seminary, um, can uh, read this with profit. There's a, a, a more accessible volume called Pilgrim Theology, which is uh, less ponderous and um, has really the same content, just basically simplified and more accessible. So three wonderful options there if you want to be a a well-read believer. But um, one of the things that Horton does that's useful in updating our our thought on this doctrine is, is recognizing that after the 16th century... You have a lot of different intellectual and philosophical and cultural uh, challenges to the Christian faith. Obviously, you have the Enlightenment and deism. Um, Deism is the idea that that God is this watchmaker and he sets the universe in place and then it just unwinds as he's wound it up. And this is what we see sort of influencing uh, the founders of our country when they use the word providence with a capital P to talk about God, right? And it's God's kind providence. He's just up there. He set all things in motion. Um, If you've ever read uh, Candide, Dr. Uh, Pangloss, right? That we live in the best of all possible worlds. We get this this romantic, uh, enlightened idea that since God is a perfect God and he's our creator, all things come to pass by us. Well, that's such a wonderful world. Well, that's not what Paul is teaching in Romans 8. Paul is teaching that this world is deeply broken in a place of suffering. It's a veil of tears. Um, we also find uh, romanticism abusing this idea of God's providence as this benevolent power, right? So it's important that we adapt what our confessions teach for our contemporary circumstance. And let me just introduce a few quick uh, helpful distinctions. First of all, the idea of concursus. Um, also, the importance of direct and indirect causes. To say that God decrees everything that comes to pass isn't to say that he decrees everything directly or in the same way. The doctrine of concursus teaches us that sometimes God works directly and sometimes indirectly through means. So his creative word establishes the means for it to come about. Uh, He establishes secondary means. He doesn't destroy them. This is most uh, relevant in the area of free will. If God wills something, determining the outcome, how can it be said that that I still will it freely if God has determined that it will come to pass? Of course, the scriptures don't struggle with this idea the way post-enlightenment people do. Proverbs 21.1 teaches us this truth, that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. In other words, the king has a heart, he has a will, and God is in control of it. And yet the king is responsible. Think of Pharaoh. God hardens his heart, yet Pharaoh also is said to harden his own heart. 
Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. God determines even those things that seem random and contingent to us. And John Calvin even depends the the use of language of, of something appearing fortuitous to our experience. When you roll a die, it's not clearly determined by earthly causes. But we yet confess that God knows what the outcome will be. <clears throat> so Aquinas teaches this very clearly. He sums up uh, the historic teaching on this. When the free will moves itself, this does not exclude its being moved by another, from whom it receives the very power to move itself. So the idea here is that God's will and our will can run alongside each other. And God's will doesn't cancel ours out. If there was some evil tyrant that told you what to do, it would cancel you out. But God's not a human. He's not a creature. He's the creator. So God's will can run alongside our will and actually establishes our will as free and moral and relevant and significant. So God upholds and creates free and contingent creatures. He gives them their freedom. Um, Second useful distinction already mentioned in our Belgian Confession text. The distinction between the revealed and the hidden will of God. God's providential will is not revealed to us. It is, by its very nature, secret. Deuteronomy 29.29, it's a very easy reference to remember. Uh, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of the law. You see, what Deuteronomy is teaching is God's law is what guides our lives. His revelation instruction, His wisdom, His advice in Scripture. Um, But God's will, the secret things of God's will, what shall occur on this day or the next day, how much rain will fall, whether the sun will shine, has not been revealed to us. And we're not asked, and we're not responsible for it. We're responsible to live faithfully in the light of what occurs. Um, It is not as though God has, and in growing up in evangelical circles, I heard this a lot. God has a secret plan for your life. And you have to figure out how to live faithfully, to do what God wants you to do. You have to find the wife God has for you, or the career God has for you, right? So we talk about God's providential will, and then we try to to guide our lives according to it. That's hogwash. That, that is not how God's providence is to be understood. Nor should we, we should not try to figure out God's providential will. It's not revealed to us. We're not accountable for it. Nor should we try to uh, explain or interpret God's providence. Ah, the Twin Towers were attacked on 9-11. That's probably because New York City adopted some horrible policy around uh, gay marriage. That's it. It was judgment on gay marriage. It might be, but it might not be. That's not revealed to us, right? And the reason this is so dangerous to try to intuit, like, oh, well, God is punishing me, right, for that sin. The reason this is so dangerous is because we are teaching here God's comfort in the face of affliction. (laughs) You see, if you connect affliction with God's judgment, you, dear Christian, are in a sense denying the gospel. You're denying his providential care and use of suffering to deepen our faith and our confidence in Him. And so, um, this is a very present danger and one that we should be warned against. As Calvin uh, writes in the Institutes, I think he's quoting Augustine, so this isn't a new creation. You know, 
Those who curiously try to wonder what God was doing before he created the world, he was building a hell for the curious. So, final distinction. Well, two final distinctions, somewhat related. First, common grace and special grace. God's providential care of all things is not dealing with salvation. It's the realm of common grace. Yes, God's providential care, his uh, Romans, or rather Genesis 9, rainbow in the sky, preservation of order in the world, sending rain and sun, and giving uh, that, what we sang about in Psalm 104, sending the water, feeding the earth, feeding animals. He provides equally for all. Now, not everyone can take that as a blessing or a benefit because they will be held to account for it. But that's not salvation. That's not the area of salvation. Um, But it is related to God's work of redemption and salvation. God cares providentially for all creation so that his redemptive work in and through his church can go forward. So as Christians, we affirm God's providence in all creation. And remember, we only know of it through Christ and through the cross. We only know of it as a comfort through the gospel. And one final distinction is between providence and miracle. God's providential care establishes and upholds uh, ordinary rules, what we might call laws of nature, whether it's magnetism or electricity or organic uh, chemical laws. Um, He upholds these things. He can suspend them. He can override them by works of miracle. But we don't want to err by saying providence is a moment-by-moment miracle. It's not. It's different. It's an ordinary upholding of all things. And yet it's ordinary in such a way that he controls everything that comes to pass. Well, in closing, my last three minutes here, I want to talk about our Christian comfort. That we have providence in adversity, prosperity, and uncertainty. Three things here that we are called to do and exhorted to do, dear believers. To be patient. To be patient in adversity. To be thankful. Thankful in prosperity. And for the future, to have confidence in our faithful God and Father. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When the world is falling apart, we can pray to God, thanksgiving, for the gospel knowledge that Christ has died for our sins, that He's a Heavenly Father, and that even this evil, wicked thing befalling us is coming to us not randomly or fatefully, but from the hand of a loving Father. When we read in Romans 8, we get to Romans 8 through Romans 5. Romans 5 says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the hope of glory. Uh, We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. That's because of the cross. That's because of Christ. We rejoice in our sufferings. This sounds uh, masochistic and fatalistic. But this isn't merely pangloss. We're not saying that our sufferings aren't sufferings. That bad isn't bad. That all is good. That this is the best of all possible worlds. No, rather we're saying that God is at work even in them. Because suffering produces endurance. Endurance, character. Character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. So what we want is a robust faith that even when the world turns against us, yet still clings in hope to Christ. Notice how Paul continues in this vein. For while we were still weak, this is in Romans 5, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So this is this comfort that we have. We can be saved from God's wrath, whatever suffering we endure. And these external circumstances are not judgments for our sin. 
Because God's judgment has been poured out in full on Christ. What a comfort that is. The unbeliever cannot say that. We do... There is a foretaste of God's end-time judgment in the wrath being poured out in this world. I think the book of Revelation teaches that in a cyclical fashion, the coming judgment of God is manifest in the common curse on all creation. That's why this groaning is going on. Yet we groan differently and hopefully. And so just looking quickly at Romans 8, which we read earlier, our present sufferings aren't worthy to comparing. Not merely because they're better and more, and so it outweighs the present. But rather, we know that the present suffering has a purpose and a goal and an aim, that there is hope. It is the pains of childbirth. A mother endures the pains of childbirth with a sense, an leavening of joy, to know that a child is coming. New life. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. What a comfort. If God's for us, who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So brothers and sisters, what a, what a comfort we have. Remember, this is a gospel comfort that we cling to God's power and his might as it's revealed himself through a loving Heavenly Father who sent his Son to die for our sins. Let us pray. Merciful God, help us to avoid... The the atheism of our age, the materialism that denies the goodness, the purposefulness, the meaningfulness of all creation, that rests so often in, in randomness and natural selection instead of the hand of a loving Heavenly Father. Help us to remember daily that all things come by your hand, that hardships have purposes that you strengthen and grow our faith. Help us, Lord, to be patient as you teach us. Help us to be thankful as we remember your work of deliverance from sin and death. And help us to have confidence and hope even when days are dark and not to fear the wrath of man. For we know that the wrath of God has been turned aside in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Spirit has given us already the new heavenly life which is ours in him. Praise God for all these things. Amen.